can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Bold I approach 
All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're considering what it is to be a church member. And remember the uh, illustration I gave to begin the series about going to a country club in Connecticut, Reading, Connecticut, and um, tuna fish sandwiches and polished shoes and clean golf clubs and wiping off the seat and a locker room downstairs, oak lockers. And, um, you know, uh, what can I get for you? What do you need? Uh, where would you like to start? I mean, all kinds of questions. Uh, everything was about being served for the member of that country club. But when it comes to being a church member, what is it, what is it that God has in mind when it comes to being a church member? And uh, is being a church member simply uh, meeting with the deacons and being approved and voted into membership? Is being a church member simply, is it, is it paying dues? Is that, is that how the Bible would talk about being a church member? Um, is being a church member about me or about you and, and what you want? And, you know, if I'm a member of a country club, I suppose I can, I can make uh, recommendations. Well, you know what? I was not served the way that I thought I should be served. I was not greeted the way that I thought I should be greeted. And uh, the country club needs to, I, I demand and expect better as a member of the country club. So um, make the changes or I'm gone. You know, I'll take my money and my dues and I'll find another country club. Um, and that is not how God has designed the church. So we spent some time, you remember, in 1 Corinthians and, uh, and then also in Romans, talking about being a member of a church, a member of a body. And don't lose sight of that picture when the Apostle Paul is talking, the Spirit of God is speaking through him to the church at Corinth, and he's giving this wonderful analogy of a body. He's using the human body, the phys a physical body, as a picture of the spiritual body, which is a church. And uh, the hand says to the foot, I have no need of you. You know, and, and he gives this analogy that we're each one of us are members of this spiritual body that God has fitly joined together. So I didn't even get to choose what part of the body that I wanted to be. He chose that for me. He, he determined that. He, he made me, uh, right? He designed me. He, we talked about spiritual gifts. He spiritually gifted me. So that the body would be healthy and that the body of Christ, think about that, just that terminology, that biblical terminology, the body of Christ would, would accurately represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that make sense? That's kind of redundant, isn't it? The body of Christ ought to look like Christ. When the world sees the body, a local church, the body of Christ, they ought to see who? They ought to see the Lord, right? They ought to see the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, what do they see? And um, so we, we understand that God has gifted each one of us differently. He, we understand that he, or we who are saved, he has placed into the body. We understand that, that uh, every one of us are needful. Uh, all of us are necessary. We're needed. We need to be functioning. We need to be working together. 
not going in different directions. You know, that'd be a little schizophrenic or bipolar or all these other dysfunctional things, right? Uh, no, the body's supposed to be unified, united, functioning beautifully in one accord. And then we think, well, wait a minute. Okay. So God's joined us all into, uh, as members into the body, and he's gifted us all differently, but some of us are older and some of us are younger. We're from different generations. And you you know that my children, you were born in the 1900s, Dad, right? So we have some from younger, some who are older. We got some who are wealthier and some who are maybe, maybe poor or less wealthy. Uh, some have a lot of money, some have less money. Some are men, some are women. Uh, we have we have all of this diversity within the church, and uh, you know some work. Uh, we're all brought up differently. Our work ethic maybe a little bit different. Our where we're coming from, but then we've talked about well, what unifies us? Is it what we wear? Is it uh, is it our politics that unify us? That unite us? Is it? Um, is it who we root for in sports teams that unites us? Is, is it our personal disciplines that unite us? I mean, what is it that unites a church? All of this variety, this diversity within the church. Who is it that unites us into one? And of course, the Bible tells us that that is the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is the head of the body. Um, we're in Philippians chapter 2, and so far we've learned that the unity in the church is possible because Christ and his spirit are committed to that unity. Look at verse 1. He says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and of course all that's talking about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit in us. We've all experienced Christ consoling us. The Burgies are experiencing that. Have you ever rejected consolation? You don't want it? You, wanna, you want to wallow in the slough of despond? Have you ever been there? Okay. Some of us have for a lot less reasons than what the Burgies would be going through right now. But we've all experienced his consolation. We've all experienced his comfort of sacrificial, intentional love, the love of the will, the love of choice. We've all experienced fellowship, partnership of the Spirit of Christ in us, and He never leaves us, and He never forsakes us, and He is faithful to us. When we are unfaithful to Him, He's still faithful to us, and we've experienced this. So we, we've learned that being unified and united starts here. And we, and don't miss this, the Spirit of Christ who lives within me, uh, he's not, he's not uh, limited to dwelling within me, is he? So we could say, well, outside of Pastor Ferguson, the Spirit of Christ is, he is interested and dedicated to the unity of the church outside of me. Well, what about within me? Is he still dedicated to the unity of the church from within me? Yes or no? He is. So should I, if I'm in tune with him and saying yes to him, will I be dedicated to the unity of the church? 
consoling others, comforting others, concerned about others, and uh, hurting with other people hurt, rejoicing when other people rejoice, right? All those sorts of things. Look at verse number two and following. He gets very practical here, and he talks about being in agreement with Christ. He says, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, like-minded as Christ, thinking like Christ, having the same love, we're to, we're to be uh, having, uh, being governed by sacrificial love of the will. So it's a choice. This agape love is a choice. It's not a feeling. This is what, and we talked about this. This is, this is an otherworldly love. This is not, this is not that, that feeling, um, Maybe eros type of love where there's an attraction, a physical attraction, and she's beautiful, and he's handsome, and woo, we like being around each other. No, this is not that kind of love. This is a love of the will. This is godly love. This love is not of this world. Uh, I think there are only two occasions that I can find where the Greeks used this word outside of the Bible. This is like this is otherworldly. This is they don't know what to, they, this. They don't even hardly know how to recognize this or or describe it. This is not a love of the world, okay? And this is the kind of love that we've been called to. And yes, it should be seen in our marriages. Yes, it should be seen with our real personal relationships. But it's he's talking about within a church, okay? Uh, have the same love, being of one accord. Of one mind. And now we look at it, it gets very practical in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, empty glory, empty honor. I'm doing it things for the wrong reasons. I'm doing it for me, not for the Lord. But in lowliness of mind, he's talking about humility. Let each esteem or think, consider others better than themselves. So he's talking about this way of thinking. Now, this church had been struggling with unity. They had. They'd been struggling with unity. There had been some backbiting. There had been some gossiping. There had been some uh, some critical spirit. Um, you know, I don't know why they're doing that. Or I don't know why they do it that way. Or, or I don't know what their problem is. And 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 well, when when we when we think like that, we're we're thinking like that from a perspective that is lofty. Normally, a position that we've given to ourselves. As the one who knows better, right? I don't know why you, I don't know why you're not doing that. I don't know what, what, but it's a lofty, uh, not God-given perspective. It's one of pride and arrogance. And he's saying, don't let, don't do anything like this. Look at others. Think of others better than yourself. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I can look around this room, and I ought to consider you. To be better than me. I ought to think of you being more valuable than me. I ought to go around the entire room that way. My sisters in Christ. Who belong to the Lord. Who are precious to him. Being used by him. Who are enjoying his comfort and his love. His dedication. His consolation. I ought to think of you as being better than me. And my brothers in Christ and those who are older than me, 
and those who are younger than me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how I ought to think. This is what brings unity to a church. Look at the next verse in verse 4. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What does he mean by that? Well, we often, we tend to go through life consumed, right? We have responsibilities for ourselves. What's for lunch, right? Some of you say, I have no idea. Others of you have it planned out, and you have next week all planned out too. Um, And pastor, if you're not done on time, it's really going to interrupt my plan, right? Okay. And today I'm very keen about time. Um, as time spring forward, I, I, this morning I thought, I don't know where the, I looked outside. I said, I'm not sure where the spring is in spring forward. Okay. But, uh, we're all running on, on, we need energizer batteries today. We're running on fumes a little bit, a little less sleep, but we tend to be consumed with our lives, where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to retire, how we're going to be protected, how we're going to succeed. Um, how we're going to look good. And we ought to be more concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ's success, protection, than we are ourselves. And that's what he's talking about. And now he comes to the supreme illustration of these practical truths. We've already seen the instruction. We've already received the instruction. But now he comes to this incredible portion of Scripture. And some of you have it memorized, but look at verse five. He says, let this mind be in you. If I could say that a different way, think this way. Think like this. What I'm about to show you, you, every single one of us in this room, whether we're men or women, um, whether we're old or young teenagers, think like this. If you are a child of God, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It was his thinking. Verse six, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, a slave. A slave. That's what the word servant means, a slave. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Means to make low, to lower oneself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What about my rights? No one recognizes what I'm doing. I've been putting up with this and no one even cares. And in Paul, the Spirit of Christ, God, through the Apostle Paul, tells the church at Philippi, you've been off base, disunity, and backbiting, and factions within your church. Think like this. And as I, as I look at this passage, a thought comes to my mind. The cost of unity is high. The cost of unity is high. It's not cheap. It is high. It is great. The cost of unity is great. 
It's, it's not about cheering for the same team. It's not about let's all get it together for an event. It, 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 the cost of unity requires that we follow Christ and be willing to sacrifice ourselves. And the question I would have for you is, are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to follow your Savior? That is the question. Let's pray and we'll look at it. Father, help us now as we apply these truths to our hearts and study them out and ponder them, what you did for us. Uh, Father, I'm asking you that by your spirit, you would make application to our hearts and lives this morning that I cannot make. Father, I pray for Trinity Baptist Church, your church. Have mercy upon us as you have. Be gracious to us as you are. Give more grace, I ask. Help us to learn these truths. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the cause for unity is great. And Paul's plea for unity really was one of humility. He's saying, be humble. Humble yourself. You see, the, the unity problem that the church at Philippi had was a pride problem. It was a lack of humility problem. That was their unity problem. That was the reason for the the contention between them. The most vivid sign of humility is a willingness to submit to God. I, I, I've thought of uh, Selena and Pastor Berge a lot this week as I've studied this. God has chosen some things for them. And they're faced with this. Are we willing to submit to God? They don't have a choice at this point. And it's so it's so odd, you know, and I we would ask ourselves the question, why does God bring this to them? This young man leading singing in their church, they're planning a church, he's leading singing in their church, he he writes some music for the Lord. They're willing to leave the United States, and and Pastor Berge's been here, and they presented their ministry. And many of you might remember this, but he he left a six-figure job many years ago because he believed God was calling him to the mission field. A job that many of us would say we would never leave. We would love to get a job like that, but he was willing to leave that to go to the mission field. And so they said, "Yes, Lord, we will submit. Yes, Lord, we will follow." Yes, Lord, we will, wherever you lead, we'll go. And uh, not only is it an orphanage that they're opening, but a church they're planting. And if you're around their family, you know that they're leading their children to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. And that is the heart of their children, is to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. That is their heart's desire. And so why would God keep asking them to love him and trust him and honor him and obey him and take up the cross that he has chosen for them daily and follow and follow him. But he asks that of each one of us. And for me, he has not, he has not allowed one of my children to have cancer. But there are different crosses he asks me to take up daily and follow him. And so I look at a Selena, a mom who's weeping Tear after tear after tear after tear for her son. She does not want to go through this. 
but in faith, she is choosing to go through it. And I think of you and, and me. Are we willing to take up our crosses daily and follow him? Or do we go through life with the attitude of, my way is best. I know a better way. I'm going to take the off-ramp. I'm going to take the exit. Because I do not want to go through what, Lord, you have brought before me. What you have, and for some, some of us, we don't have an opportunity for an off-ramp. And for others, his word, it, it, to, to, to follow his word, to take him at his word, to honor and obey our authority or to honor and obey his word is to take up our cross daily and follow him. And we want to take the off-ramp. And pride tells us, well, my way is best. I know better than God. Um, or sometimes in uh, application of this passage, I am better than another believer. We think of ourselves as being better, more knowledgeable, having more wisdom, maybe a better expert or something like that. Proverbs 13 and verse 10 says, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride produces resentment. And again, they're being and we are being challenged to humble ourselves. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride produces resentment and bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness and selfishness and strife and vainglory. And divisions within a church is produced by pride and discord. And on and on the pitiful list can go. Pastor Tolman, we haven't talked about this. Can you... Can you play a beautiful chord on the piano? Is that something that's easy, easily done? Give us something that's in harmony. Okay, give us something that's discord. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> we can't take any more. You've done it. You may be seated. <laughs> no more. <laughs> okay, very good. You see the difference, okay? Do you want to be a church of harmony? That's what God wants us to be, and that's what he's telling us. He's telling us how to be a church of harmony. Beautiful. Or... When, we, when we're in the flesh and we're not following Christ, we can be a church of discord. Right? Did you hear that? Did it do to your skin what it did to mine? It was like, it was like, oh. I mean, what, a, what not a blessing, you know? I mean, that's what discord and disharmony and disunity is. And so when, if you and I as individual believers will follow Christ, it will produce something beautiful and supernatural. Eye-opening, awesome, uh, awe-inspiring. It's a testimony. It's a witness to what Christ can do in a person. If we choose to follow ourselves and not follow his word and not take up our cross daily and follow Christ, it produces discord, which is, it's just, like you want to get away from it, right? Like, stop, make it stop. So Paul had said, fulfill ye my joy, the beginning of verse 2, that ye be like-minded, 
that you be of the same mind, the same attitude, the same way of thinking as Christ. And now Paul's directing us to this supreme example of humility. And he's saying, let this attitude, let this way of thinking, let this mindset be your way of thinking. Look again at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is your mindset Christ's mindset? Is your mindset Christ's mindset? One of humility. That was his mindset. It was one of humility. I don't know, for us, for you and for me, the application would be this. I, I don't know better. I'm not the expert. When Cindy and I were first married, um, there were times where, and she's a wonderful cook, but there were times where, you know, it was like I had to make a comment about every meal that was made. You know, hey, you did well here. This over here, eh, you know. And, uh, and she was very sweet. I remember one day she was clearing the table. We were, I think we were doing it together, actually, at least outwardly together. And uh, we were clearing some things, and she said something about me being the expert on everything. Um, how many of you think that would make for a good, healthy marriage? You know, these towels, you know, thank you for, for cleaning them, but a detergent's a little, it's chafing my skin. I'm getting a allergic, I mean, I guess you should communicate that if it's happening, you know, but, but if you're always criticizing the other person, criticizing your husband, criticizing your wife, criticizing your mother or your father, etc. Approaching the church from the perspective of arrogance. And Christ's example is one of humility. In Christ's spirit, is Christ's spirit going to lead us, is he going to lead me to humility or is he going to lead me to pride and arrogance? Which, which, which is Christ's spirit going to lead me to? Humility. He opposes my flesh. My, my flesh says, I know better. Um, but his spirit leads me to humility. So it's interesting, as I look at these verses, in verse 6 and 7, you see this very clearly, that Christ came to earth from this position of a sovereign. Look at verse 6. He says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God? Being in the form of God, uh, there, there are two statements in those verses, uh, in verse 6. Being in the form of God, and then later, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Before Christ ever became a man, he was God. He was eternal. In John 1, in verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not any, anything made that was made. In him, talking about Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible tells us that God was manifest in the flesh. It goes on to say, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, Received up into glory. 
So before our Lord ever stooped to identify himself with the human race, he was one with the Father. During Jesus' earthly ministry, there were many who questioned his deity, and his answer to them was this, Before Abraham was, I am. Christ was, the the text says in verse 6, in the form of God before he took upon him the form of a servant. Now the emphasis of the word form, what does the word form mean? Well, the emphasis of the word form is not on an outward appearance. The emphasis of the word form is on the very essence, the nature of God. So again in verse 6 he says, who being in the form of God, the very essence of the very nature of God. That's who Jesus was and is. Okay, He is. He was God and He is God. The very essence of God. But He also took on the form, the very essence and nature of man. You see that in verse number, verse number 7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form, the very essence of a slave. No rights. No rights. Not in charge. Not in charge. And he took up, he took on that essence. And Paul by the Spirit of God is telling you and me, think like Christ. Think like Him. Now, Jesus, of course, is coming from glory. He's coming from heaven. And and, and we know that Jesus Christ is co-eternal and co-essential and co-equal with the Father. We know that He is Creator and Lord and God. He is sovereign. He's King of kings, right? He's Lord of lords. He's omnipotent. All power belongs to him and omnipresent. He's everywhere at once and omniscient. He knows all things. All wisdom belongs to him. All knowledge belongs to him. He is the truth, the way. He is life. He is love. This is who he is. And he comes to this sin-cursed earth, even though he is the very essence of God. He's the very nature of God. He is God, fully God. And he takes upon him Self, the essence of a slave. The very nature of a slave. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why not? Because he was God. I think it was it was clear to some that he was God, but do you think it was crystal clear to everybody he rubbed shoulders with during his earthly ministry that he was God? No, I don't think so at all. In John chapter 10, many who heard him sought to kill him. Jesus had told them in John 10 and verse 30, Jesus said, I and my father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why did they do that? He claimed to be God, the father. I and my father are one. And by looking at him, did they believe him? He was a man. He looked like a man. He slept like a man. He cried like a man. He hurt like a man. He grieved like a man. 
hungered, right? Weary. They looked at him. And when he said he was God, they scorned. You are not God. You are not. So, and what is my point here? He did not exalt himself. Now, someday Jesus Christ is going to rule as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He is going to be exalted highly above every other thing. Okay. Um, Even now he sits on the right hand of his father. Okay. And that's actually in the passage. So the reward is coming. He has not fully received his inheritance in us yet. And someday that's going to happen. But when he came, when God became a man, He lowered himself in the sense of he was God becoming a man. But as a man, that's that's who he was. Remember, remember Mary when he stayed back to do his father's business in the temple and they they couldn't find him. They lost him. And they have to go back. There's all these people moving. They go back and they find him. And he says, you know, won't you know that I'd be about my father's business? And. They're looking at him just as a boy. Like, she knows this. The angel has spoken to her. She knows this about him. She knows who he is. But she's looking at him as if he's, he's just a boy. You need to do what I tell you to do. And, and I think there's some wonderful truth in that for us to apply to our own hearts and our own lives. As the children of God, think about that. The children of God, we are redeemed. We are very valuable And that price is shown to us by what God was willing to pay. Um, We are the sons of God, children of God, joint heirs with Christ of eternal life, of of God is our inheritance. Okay, we are going to rule and reign with God for all of eternity. We we have the truth. Um. As a church, we are the pillar and ground of the truth. We are to uphold it. We have it. We know it. But how do we, with these wonderful truths about who we are in the Lord, does that, do those truths make us arrogant? Well, I know the truth. What's wrong with you? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. I'm going to rule and reign with God someday for all eternity. What's wrong with you? And you see how disgusting that is, right? You can see it. You can sense it. It's not natural. It doesn't, they don't go together. And it doesn't go together because this picture that we see in Christ where the Spirit of God is telling you and me, and he leads us to this without me ever having to preach this message to you. He leads you and me to, to lower or, or to be honest about who we are. We know what we are in Christ, but we also are... We don't have this pretense or arrogance about us. Jesus took on the form, the essence of a slave. And he didn't have to, uh, this wasn't something uh, every day that he woke up to um, and saying, you know what, I have to do this again. No, he had an honest opinion of who he was as a man. He operated as a man. He interacted with others as a man. I, he thought better of others than he did himself. This is the Lord. This is the creator of the ends of the earth. This is God in human flesh. And he did this. And so it's very acceptable for you and for me to do this. 
not to exalt ourselves. In verse 7, it tells us that Christ made himself of no reputation. No rep- that means to make empty, to make void. He emptied himself of his glory and honor. He went from being worshipped continually to being rejected. He did not cease to be God. Nowhere in scripture are we told that he laid aside any form of God, that is the attributes of his deity. He merely took up upon himself the form of a slave. He willingly left the courts of heaven to be born a helpless babe in the poverty of a manger. The creator humbled himself. He left heaven where he was worshipped and revered and he came unto his own and his own received him not. He was questioned. Peter's disagreeing with him. His own disciples are disagreeing with him. How many of us like to be disagreed with? No, we don't like to be disagreed with. It offends our pride, our self-worth, our value, right? Our, our valuation. No, don't disagree with me. I'm right about this. Think about this. The creator, God, is disagreed with by Peter. And certainly by the unbelievers around him. They're disagreeing with him. He was questioned. He's mocked. He was, rid- he was rebuked and ridiculed. He was scorned. They rejected him. And God, in a human body, was hungered, hungry at times, tempted. He cried. He laughed. He, ensl- he allowed himself to be enslaved. The sovereign of the universe robed himself in human flesh. And I remember Peter is, or, or Paul is pleading for this church to have humility of spirit and lowliness of mind. Amongst the believers, look at verse 2, what he's after. Don't forget this. This is what, this is what following Christ looks like. The middle part of verse 2, be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Have one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's saying, follow Christ. Follow Christ. Let this mind, verse 5, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Follow Him, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of of a slave, a servant, it was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Paul's saying, think like this. I don't know what object it is that's in front of you. I don't know what mountain it is that you're facing that you've maybe tried to climb before and have been repelled. I don't know what temptation it is that you have faced, that you've fallen to. I I don't know what sin it is that you're being tempted to do or what path you're being tempted to take. And you know what is wrong. The Spirit of Christ within you is telling you it is wrong. You have no peace about it with Him, but you have peace in your flesh about it. And I'm telling you, take up your cross 
whatever that is, say no to your flesh, which is saying, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to bear this. I don't want to bear the reproach or the shame or the grief or the agony. I don't want to go without. And you name whatever it is. Pick up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is telling this church. Follow him. Follow him. Every day we're tempted. We're tempted to eat what we feel like. I'm not talking about food, but partake of sin. Our flesh desires. what What do you feel like? Have you ever gone to the refrigerator and opened it up? And, we don't have anything to eat in here. Go to the pantry. There's nothing to eat in here. Oh, there is. There's food everywhere to eat. But it's not what I feel like. It's not what I want. I'm craving this. I'm craving salt. I'm craving sweets. But I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about, I'm talking about sin. Or I'm talking about a pantry of life. This is what I want. What I want isn't in here. You need to go shopping. None of the options I want are available to me. Sometimes we approach life that way. We're tempted daily. Sometimes we're tempted to throw our weight around to impress other people. Or sometimes we're tempted to, to promote ourselves. Or we're preoccupied with other people, with what other people think about us. I wonder what they're thinking about me right now. They're probably not thinking about you at all. But but that's all pride. Lay that aside. Lay it all aside. And who God has made you to be in the path he has chosen for your life, take up that cross and think like Christ. Even in Christ in Jesus' life, his earthly life, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. That was his humanity. So this is natural. This is natural. Did he sin? Was he sinning? No. He was not sinning. I think there are times in our lives we often sin. But there are times in our lives where in our flesh, we don't want to do the right thing. It's the weakness of our flesh. You can't depend upon the flesh. It's not going to choose the right thing. It just doesn't want to do the right thing. And then Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he took up that cross, and he went all the way to Calvary. And truly, within our church, that needs to happen. We're not, we're not being asked to pay the price for the sin of all mankind. But we are told to take up our cross and to follow Christ. We are told to die daily to self. I don't, I don't have to choose what I want. I don't have to promote me. 
I can follow Christ in humility. And for Christ, he stepped down, he stooped, and he made himself of no reputation. The sovereign became a slave. And we are told, think like this. I want to close in just a moment in prayer. Before I do, why, why did Jesus Christ why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? Why was he willing to die? Why did he die? So we could so we could celebrate Easter? No. To save mankind from sin. Not ours only, but the sins of the whole world he paid. I think there are two reasons why Jesus came to die. One is because God is just. And the sins of mankind had to be paid for. So God is not like a man. He, is, he's, he always does the right thing. He is just. So his justice had to be satisfied. Man had sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God sent Jesus to die for two reasons. One, because he is just and sin had to be paid for. And two, because God is love and he loved us. God loves you. And if you are here this morning and you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want you, we've, we've talked mostly to believers and how believers should be think and should follow Christ and be willing to suffer if need be to show Christ to the world. That's what Pastor Berge, I think it was in his last prayer letter, or maybe it was in Selena's, one of her posts, but not their words, my words, the, their, their heartbeat is, may other believers be encouraged to follow Christ as they watch us go through this. That is what it means to be a witness. Their greatest ministry may not be in South Africa. It may be in the hearts of their supporting believers all throughout the world who are reading these, this testimony of people who are dying to self and who they're going to love their God. They're going to love the God of the Bible, no matter if it costs them their son. If it costs them some happiness and some peace, they're going to love God. And so for believers, that's been our, our exhortation for, for, from this passage. Have the mind of Christ. Don't live for self. Follow Christ in self-denial. Follow Christ in selflessness. Follow Christ in humility. But for someone here, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Know that God sent his son to die for you so that because he's just and because he loves you. Um, this is, I'll, I'll just read these verses. I'm not going to preach in them. But in verse 9, there is a blessing for this sacrifice of Christ. And I want you to know that there is eternal reward for the followers of Christ who follow Christ's example in this passage. And there is loss of reward, eternal. Eternal reward is lost when we choose not to do it. Listen to how God exalts Christ. Wherefore, because of his selflessness and humility, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. A church that brings God glory is a church where the individual members, gifted by God, added to the body by God, chosen by God, where the individual members choose to follow Christ in self-denial and humility. And when church members do that, it is something harmonious. It is something beautiful. It is something supernatural. And the world looks at it, and they don't know what to make of it, because it is otherworldly. It is godly, and God the Father is honored, and he is glorified. He is magnified. He is seen. Christ is seen. Christ is seen. A church is not the building. A church is not the paint job. It's not the, it's not the landscaping. It's not the programs. It's not eloquence. It's not in attire. It's Christ. Christ in his people, saving his people from their sins. That is what a church is. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask Pastor Toman to come and lead us in a hymn. Hymn number 